The IMF has come out with a dramatic new report showing that 40% of all jobs in the world could be impacted by the introduction of artificial intelligence. Fears are deepening about mass unemployment, exploding inequality, and other potential consequences of the integration of this new technology into the world capitalist system. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are very excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us for a regular weekly segment where we discuss the biggest stories relating to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm Walter Smolarik, filling in for Brian Beck. The Socialist Program brings you content several days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to the show. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. So, Professor Wolf, this new report from the International Monetary Fund was timed to coincide with the Davos Summit in Switzerland. Uh, That's the annual gathering of CEOs and investors and bankers and mainstream economists and politicians who get together to talk about the big issues facing capitalism. With this report in particular, they're underscoring the potential impact of artificial intelligence on the labor market, on the job market. The IMF estimates that across the world, about 40% of jobs could be impacted by the introduction of AI. That includes 60% of jobs in the advanced capitalist countries like the United States. 40% in quote-unquote emerging markets, 26% in low-income countries. Are we looking at a a major reorganization of the capitalist system here with the introduction of this cutting-edge new technology? Well, you know, the proper way to, to understand this is to take, as usual, a step back and get some historical perspective. Every major technological change has arrived in the last two or three centuries, which means has arrived into a global, more or less capitalist economy, accompanied by these sorts of predictions. It will revolutionize XYZ and throw millions and millions of people out of work. And here's the reality that we can see looking back. A, it was true. B, it was not true. In other words, it was a mixed bag, and it depended a great deal on who chose to use the technology and what way of using the technology was selected. So the important thing has turned out to be not the technology itself, whether it's modern electricity or atomic energy or the computer or robots or now artificial intelligence, the important thing was 
what kind of decisions were being made by the key people as to how to implant, how to use, how to make the new breakthrough part of the economy. Keep that in mind. Then you can understand the International Monetary Fund report in a way that they themselves didn't articulate it because they didn't take a historical perspective, which is their fault. They're looking, therefore, at a capitalist economy, assuming, assuming that the same capitalist employer class, the people who are in a position of being on the board of directors of a corporation or owning and operating a medium and small business, by the way, somewhere between 1% and 3% of the population of the United States are the ones who decide whether and how to install any technology, such as artificial intelligence. So the real question is, if the IMF is assuming they're going to do it in the way they usually do. And that's a reasonable assumption, but it's no necessity. It's not something built into the technology that would be childishly misunderstanding what's going on. And I can show this with an example. What most capitalists are likely to do is take artificial intelligence and use it to accomplish the following basic outcome. Do as much or more work with hiring the same or fewer numbers of people. In other words, it's labor-saving technical change, as we call it in economics. You use the, the new technology, AI, and it allows you, I'll take a simple example, to take 50 workers out of your staff of 100 and say to them, you're fired go home, don't come back next week. We're replacing you with artificial intelligence. And why would they do that? Well, the answer is very simple, that whatever the artificial intelligence installation costs will be in 90% of the cases much less than the amount of money the capitalist saves by not having to pick up the salaries and expenses of the 50 people he just fired. And so the capitalist keeps the difference. Profits go up because you've saved more money on the workers you fired than it costs you to buy and operate the artificial intelligence. If that's the way you think it's all going to happen, then you can get that prediction 40% of jobs are at risk of being treated this way. But there again, there is no necessity, nothing at all, and I'm going to show you that with one final simple example. Imagine the same capitalists confronted with the same artificial intelligence. It can do the work of half their labor force. They have 100 people, but this time, instead of firing 50, they buy the artificial intelligence, they keep all 100 workers, and they say to them, we're going to cut your working day in half from eight hours to four hours. Why? Because with this new artificial intelligence, 
half your time is twice as productive as it was before. That's why we were thinking of firing 50 of you, but we're not going to do that. We like you. We want to be nice to you. So we're not firing you. We're going to decide to use this artificial intelligence to keep all of you working and to do an enormous service to you. We're going to cut your work time in half. Your salary will be the same because with AI, even working half time, you're going to produce as much as you did before. We will sell as much as we did before. Everything will be as it was before, but the technology will have radically transformed the lives of 100 workers and their families. You can use technology that way. And it would be an enormous benefit to our society. If it were done by employers in general, it would transform the life of the United States in record time. So that would be an alternative. A socialist society would do that. A socialistically minded society would at least cut a deal with employers to maybe split it. Yeah, you can fire some, but you got to keep the others and lower the workday because that's a more humane way of dealing with technology. And it gives the benefit of technology to a large number of people, the workers, rather than to a very small number of people, the investors, the employers, and that social class. That's the real issue then, is what kind of system deals with technology, not the technology itself. And I think you're going to see, as artificial intelligence is implanted in our society, that it will likely be by capitalists who will likely focus on their own profits and therefore will likely fire workers. But if you do that in the way they now see is the possibility, you may have a level of unemployment, bitterness, and anger that will make you rue the day that you chose to deal with technology in the profit-driven capitalist way rather than in the democratic, help the most people in the most effective way that you could have done and now you will recognize you should have done. Very important points, Professor Wolf. You know, the introduction of AI was a, a central issue in the writer's strike and the actor's strike that took place last year. Tens of thousands of workers went out on strike. It was, you know, a, a focal point of, you know, national and international attention. So the introduction of AI can also be the subject of class struggle, right? And, you know, I think one of the things that's significant about this is that, you know, being a, a writer for TV or film is typically considered to be you know, a more stable middle class type of job, right? You know, there's a relatively small number of people who can perform that job. And so pay tends to be better than in other sectors of the economy. And yet, you know, for the writers and the actors, they are fearing that they could actually be squeezed out of existence, right? You know, for writers, that means that screenplays, television scripts could be generated in part or in whole by artificial intelligence. I mean, for actors, it's maybe 
even more dystopian because there could be artificial intelligence renderings of themselves, right? That could actually, you know, appear in movies or in shows rather than, you know, the actual version of themselves. I mean, it really shows what the underlying tendency of capitalism is to squeeze these sort of middle strata out of existence, in addition to, you know, of course, devastating, impoverishing the already lower paid sectors of the working class. Absolutely. I mean, and it's really not about artificial intelligence. That's just another means out there because you're seeing it everywhere. The wave of strikes and unionization drives among academics, among doctors, among all kinds of people who for the last century resisted unionization and resisted striking. They're all reacting to the fact that we've had corporations driven by profits take over what used to be the academic world, take over medicine in our country over and over again. And it is making people who thought they weren't workers recognize that they sure are workers now. And as that slowly penetrates, then the uh, attractiveness of collective bargaining becomes as obvious as it was for manufacturing workers in the country's past. Will artificial intelligence accelerate that process? Process, I'm sure it will. Artificial intelligence, even the IMF recognizes your point, although they put it slightly differently in the IMF report. There it is pointed out that artificial intelligence threatens jobs in the advanced industrial economies much more than in the poorer, less industrialized emerging economies, as people like to say these days. So it will have a bigger impact in Western Europe, North America, Japan, etc., than it will in much of Asia, Africa, and Latin America. But again, I would urge people to understand, not to get lost in the hype. There are a lot of enormous problems with artificial intelligence. Let me mention just three of them. If an artificial intelligence puts together disparate elements taken from there or here or the next place and produces something that hurts a person, who's liable? Who's going to get sued? What are the legal arrangements to handle this? This is an enormous mess to be sorted out. The internet has been around now for very many decades and is full of these legal traps that have enormous social consequences. And we haven't begun to understand what artificial intelligence is going to do with that. Then secondly, people have pointed out that artificial intelligence is very energy intensive. We're going to need an enormous amount of electricity to operate the servers and other dimensions of artificial intelligence. That has to be factored in at a time when we're trying to get rid of fossil fuel-based energy and shift to others. So where does that fit in? Then there are the problems of people who have, let's call it for the moment, a perverse agenda, who are angry, who are bitter, who have been abused. The way you can mess up artificial intelligence is by feeding deliberately incorrect, inaccurate, libelous information in there because the machine cannot distinguish 
one from the other has a very hard time. And in case people are skeptical, let me finish with this point. An enormous amount of hype was laid out over the last, I don't know, 10 years about how effectively the modern robotics and artificial intelligence could replace driven cars, that is automobiles or vehicles driven by a human being and have them self-driving, self-driving trucks, self-driving taxi cabs, self-driving regular automobiles. Well, it turns out these are extremely difficult projects. They have already caused people to get killed and wounded in all kinds of ways by such vehicles. They have been suspended or rendered illegal until these issues are sorted out. And glib statements, oh, we'll get that, we'll get that fixed. Yeah, well, it's taken you decades to do it with the vehicles, and we're nowhere near at that point yet. People should understand artificial intelligence presents very parallel problems. Well, Professor Wolf, the, the report that we've been talking about, as we said at the beginning, it was time to coincide with the Davos summit. Another report that comes out every year, time to coincide with Davos, is put out by an organization called Oxfam. It's about the state of inequality in the world. The one this year, I mean, there's a lot of very important, outrageous, fascinating things in there that show how inequality is exploding globally. I just want to highlight two facts here and get your reaction. So the Oxfam report found that the world's five richest men have more than doubled their fortune to $869 billion since 2020, while the world's poorest 60%, that's about 5 billion people, have actually gotten poor, right? So the five richest capitalists more than doubled their wealth, $869 billion since 2020, a year where, of course, the vast majority of the planet was dealing with extreme hardship and suffering because of the pandemic. And in that period of time, 60%, most of humanity has gotten poorer. I mean, of course, inequality is not new under capitalism, but I, I just wanted to get your reaction to this because it's, it's really stunning the pace at which this is accelerating. Yeah, I found the report from Oxfam, which I have also read, stunning. And I understand that was their, that's their lead in their executive summary of their report. That's the first item they put forward, that, that comparison with the increase of wealth of the five richest people being greater you know, than the loss of wealth of the five billion, which is a, a, an overwhelming majority of the citizens of this planet. I don't know what to say anymore. I'm at a loss for words. And as you've gotten to know me over our times together, you know that I'm normally not particularly at a loss for words. But I don't know how to get across to an audience the utter obscenity of that statistic, that the five richest people, therefore the five people who need additional wealth least of all, were able to collect across the pandemic, across the inflation, and now continuing in a period of high interest rates, they became wildly richer than they already were, while the mass of people became poorer than they were. I mean, my God, if that isn't a condemnation of capitalism, 
I can't imagine what would be. This is perverse. Everyone who isn't an, a moron understands otherwise. You don't give more to those who already have more than they know what to do with. If you follow Elon Musk, who's one of those five men, you'll know that he openly, because of the personality he has, wonders out loud what he's going to be interested in doing next. What project? Will he, he bought Twitter? Will he now buy another one of these social platforms? Will he send rockets to a different planet? This is all an amusement because he, like you and I, can't really get his head around what in the world it means that he possesses 200 or $250 billion worth of wealth. And for those who take seriously democracy with a small d, really? Do you want five people to have more disposable wealth that they can use to determine what they want to buy and therefore what gets produced by the labor of all of the rest of us? They have more influence on what jobs there are going to be in the future than the mass of people do because they have more money to spend on buying output than the mass of people do. And therefore, those five will have an impact on the economy of the world completely disproportionate to any advocacy of democracy that makes any sense. There is nothing equal among men and women when you have this kind of economic inequality. A system that works like this that cannot figure out how to stop making the rich richer and the poor poorer, you know what the one thing is you can be sure about such a system? We may not know when, and we may not know exactly how, but that this is unsustainable and will end badly, that is the lesson of human history, and there's no reason to believe it will not play out like that again. Very important points. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been joined by Professor Richard Wolf. He is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. You've been listening to The Socialist Program. We bring you content several days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to the show. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.